Talent reflects the amalgam of capabilities that lead to successes in personal lives and careers. That synergy goes beyond the individual, impacting society as well. As I will elaborate later in this book, talent is much more than innate ability. It is knowledge of particular domains and the human contexts that give it meaning. Knowledge without meaning is aimless and ineffectual. Talent is skill, the ability to use knowledge to learn more or solve problems. Talent is rooted in values, a deep belief in discovery, personal fulfillment, and service to others. And talent has a complicated personality. It is by turns conscientious, reflective, and engaged with others. These are the raw ingredients in the recipe for talent mixed in innumerable ways in each of us. Talent is not born or bought. It is made, one person at a time, in supporting families and social institutions. Smart and efficient public policies also play a role in supporting the web of social institutions that nurture talent. In the American century, we became open to diverse sources of talent and provided the social support necessary for its realization, giving us a nearly insurmountable advantage over our global competition. Big ideas capitalized on America's talents or allowed talented Americans to come up with their own big ideas. Look at college education, for example. In the American century, among our many accomplishments was a higher education system that became the best in the world. The Morrill Acts of 1862 and 1890 got the ball rolling by granting land to states for the creation of public universities. Only a relatively small number of Americans attended college up until World War II. Yet, after the war, there were more veterans returning home than jobs waiting for them. The U.S. actually staggered discharging veterans to avoid an employment crisis. After World War I, a sickly President Wilson and an opposing Congress failed to put together a demobilization plan for those returning from the military. Among those who best remembered that failure were the members of concerned organizations such as the American Legion and the veterans of foreign wars, soldiers who had served in that first great war. They had returned home with far too little in the way of needed jobs and benefits. Their struggles inspired them to organize. When World War II ended, they were ready to lobby Congress to prepare a demobilization program to help transition America's soldiers back to civilian life. The product was written by Harry W. Colmery, a Topeka lawyer and Republican Party chair, in his room in Washington's Mayflower Hotel, and then brought to life by Senator Ernest McFarland, a Democrat, and Congresswoman Edith Norse Rogers, a Republican. It was signed into law by President Roosevelt in 1944, formerly known as the Servicemen's Readjustment Act. This piece of legislation, which we usually refer to as the GI Bill, provided the 16 million returning veterans with tuition to any college or university of their choice. Eight million servicemen and women took Uncle Sam up on the offer, and flooded America's campuses. With the influx of new students, many of whom never had previous aspirations for college, 
These vibrant, teeming campuses, in turn, became the incubators of the talent that ushered in the space and information ages and turned the college degree into the key credential for job seekers for the remainder of the century.